Welcome to the Rufus Chambers Podcast. Our objective is very simple, to provide you with practical biblical teaching and dialogue that you can apply to your everyday life. We appreciate you tuning in, and our hope is that you will receive something that will empower, encourage, and educate you today. Let's dive into today's discussion. All right, well, good evening, virtual friends and family. We would just like to welcome you to our Real Talk conversation tonight. I am just so excited about the conversation um, that we're going to have this evening. And um, I really, really value this man of God that is with us tonight. So before I introduce him, I'm going to just provide a couple of quick instructions. First and foremost, do us a favor and share this broadcast. If you're if you're joining us on Facebook Live, please hit the share button because we want to make sure that this discussion gets out and is able to reach as many people as possible. The second instruction is in the chat function, why don't you just drop in the city and state that you're viewing from. We want to know exactly where you're logging in from, um, just so we see, hey, you know, who we're reaching. And thirdly, just a quick overview. Um, we're going to get into our discussion. I have some great questions uh, for Dr. Ratcliffe that he's going to address. If you have any questions for us, please hold your questions until the end of the discussion. Um, the last five or 10 minutes will set aside for questions and answers. So if you have something, why don't you just go ahead and hold that, jot it down, and you could put it in the chat function once I open it up um, for questions. So, all right, all right. Well, let me introduce our distinguished guest um, <laughs> with us tonight. Uh, this is Dr. Dwight Radcliffe. Um, and first and foremost, he is the senior pastor of the Message Center Church right here in Gardena, California, where he has been the lead pastor for, I believe, 15 years. And he's a wonderful husband, a father, a son. But in addition to being a senior pastor of a local church, he is the assistant provost for the William Pennell Center for African-American Church Studies at Fuller Theological Seminary. This man of God has an earned Master of Divinity degree from Fuller and also an earned PhD in intercultural studies. And a black man with an earned PhD, that's something like a unicorn uh, in these United States. So we praise God for Dr. Dwight Radcliffe, sir. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the discussion. And thank you for joining us tonight. My pleasure, man. My pleasure, man. If I'd have known that was going to be the introduction, I would have wore my Afro unicorn uh, shirt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, no, we, we know that earned degrees is nothing to play with. Yes, uh, in yes. these COVID streets and outside of the COVID <laughs> streets. So, <laughs> yes, so we sir. just want to give some honor, brother, uh, to you and to your service. And uh, let me just set up the discussion for the audience. You know what, team, listening on, what has been on my heart um, as of late is really the status of church leadership. And I feel like church leadership 
um, and leadership succession and development was already on my heart. But in light of this pandemic, I, I believe that this crisis has placed a demand on the leadership or lack thereof of the local church, not only of the local church, but our governing bodies at the city, state, and national level. So tonight, we're really going to dive into a discussion about what do the church leaders of tomorrow look like? And Dr. Dwight has a diverse background, so I'm really looking forward to hearing from him because he has such a unique perspective, a, such a unique perspective. So that's our little setup. And with that, Dr. Dwight, do you have anything to add to the setup? I know you're a master communicator now. So did you have anything to add to the setup? No, sir. I think I think those are actually um, very important and legitimate questions right now. I think um, not, 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 not tipping our hand to the, to the conversation, but um, I think that in this season of disruption, um, all cards should be on the table and we need to have really honest um, and deep dialogue. Uh, as we prepare to, to ask ourselves difficult questions and, and really search the scriptures, man, and pray and see where the spirit is moving. Amen. Amen. And praise God. Um, so let's jump into our first question. Our first question. Um, you know, I know a little bit of your story of, you know, how you matriculated through the local church and, you know, becoming a, you know, a senior pastor. But can you share what did leadership development look like for you in the local church setting? Can you just share what that was like and things you liked and things you didn't like? Yeah, man. Um, I guess, I guess to keep it a buck, I, I came up in the age where it was ready, fire, aim. Um, if, you had a little, mm -hmm. if they thought you had a little oil on you or if you had a little anointment on your life, um, you know, if you could, if you could halfway talk, speak decent and, and mm. seem like you remember a scripture or if you had a little bit of charisma or whatever and you were you were automatically um a, a preacher and so i really wow. did i came up kind of at the tail end of that that old school of, of of thinking and thought process um we didn't really talk about leadership development that's not a term i would have ever used wow. uh growing up wow in, in, in the baptist church in the uh, Pentecostal church and in charismatic non-denominational cir circuits, leadership development just wasn't language that we would have used. Wow. Yeah, and 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 just being, you know, in full transparency, I'm I'm just 45. I'm in my mid 40s, so we're not talking, you know, we're not talking in the 60s and 50s. Uh, we're just talking, yeah. you know, just a few years back. Wow, wow. So, so you know, one question that I like to kind of piggyback off of that is. What year did you become a senior pastor? What year did you plant the Message Center? We planted the church in 2006, Easter, Resurrection Sunday of 2006. So 2006. So when you mount that platform in 2006, did you feel prepared for that assignment or did you feel like, <laughs> man, I, there's some stuff I don't know. There's some stuff they just didn't teach me. Man, you, 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 okay, this, this wasn't in the script. So let, let me, let me, uh. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to pull, brother. I'm trying to pull on you, man. I'm trying to, I'm trying to extract, excavate all that let, wisdom. 
let's 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 keep it let's keep it up a hundred so because there are people that are watching your 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 broadcast right now that that had similar upbringings and for those of us that came up in in Pentecostal circles and in charismatic circles um there really wasn't generally speaking especially within the black church it wasn't a lot of actual preparation um for for the church I mean if you go to most of our mainstream Pentecostal denominations, it's really just, you know, can you preach? Can you, can you shout? Do you speak in tongues? If you go to kind of our Baptist uh, circles, it's, you know, can you make sure you take, take them to Calvary every Sunday? You know, there were a lot of just, come on, this was, this was the stuff. So if you, if you could true. produce and do that stuff with any regularity, you know, there were doors open to you and opportunities for you. And and if I wow. could just go ahead and be messy for a minute, you know, and put my petty hat on, um, a lot of us had had integrity issues that didn't even matter, wow. and character issues wow. that didn't even matter. What wow. really mattered was was can you get the house, Doc? You know, can can you wow. preach them crazy? Can you can you shout them? Um, those were the kinds of wow. the lingo and the jargon, you know, that I heard in a lot of places. And so I have to admit that when we planted the church in 2006, I knew years prior um, that God was calling me to pastoral ministry. Mm. I knew that that was kind of something that was going to unfold for me eventually in life. I don't know if I, I didn't know mm -hmm. it was going to happen then, but I knew it was happening. Um, but I don't know that I had the, I had the hunger, but I don't know that I had the language. I don't know that I had the lexicon, wow. the glossary, um, you know, to, to say, I need to be trained as a leader. I think most of us sat under our pastors and we and we we listened to to the great radio and, and televangelists, you know, but we didn't really know there was stuff we didn't know we didn't know. That's good. That's, good. that's the best way to put that's it. That's good. We didn't know that's we good. didn't know. That's good. That's good. Now, nah, brother, you are helping people out. I already know, you know, because you know, I feel like a lot of us grew up in houses just like, you know, our parents' houses, and we tried to emulate what we saw. Yes, sir. Yes, but sir. even in emulating people, that does not equate to leadership development or preparation. Um, so I want you now to do a comparison to, I know that you are full-fledged in academia, you know, higher learning at Fuller uh, Seminary and other seminaries. I know you've, you've been a professor at what does leadership development look like in those institutions or is it or are they only focused on learning you know a learning institution versus leadership development can you share yeah. what that experience was like for you and and what you're seeing now yeah yeah bro um i think the best way to do it is is for me to juxtapose kind of the leadership development models that seem to be in operation in both circles, right? So, so in the church, at least from my experience and the experience of so many people that I know, um, the experience uh, tended to be an experience that wasn't quote unquote named leadership development. But I think that you really hit the nail on the head where in many cases it was emulation. It was, it was trying to sound like, be like, um, preach like, teach like, my senior pastor or or the the guy or the woman on tv it was really about us just trying to emulate i don't think that there was a thought out process or procedure of leadership development there may have been a secession plan you know 
this mm. cat can preach, this woman can preach. So let's 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 train them up, you know, in succession. But as far mm -hmm. as actual leadership development, as far as taking a an inventory of the gifts and talents that that are at play and that are alive in the congregation and actually setting plans and and processes whereby those gifts can come alive for the greater use of the kingdom there wasn't a robust a robust language of leadership development i think if anything it may have fallen under the general umbrella of of discipleship and even that was really new mm. language you know we didn't really engage discipleship language in the same way until recently so i think there's this understanding in the church that we were doing discipleship and that discipleship was in some ways a form of leadership development. But, but then I think on the flip side of that, when, what I see in institutions, and I wanna be careful because I work at, at Fuller, but I, I've been a part of several institutions. And so I wanna speak broadly, not just about Fuller. I think that from an institutional perspective, the institution is sometimes better at naming the thing leadership development saying this is what we're doing we're writing books on leadership we've got tracks on leadership oh. courses on leadership they're better at naming what they're doing but i don't know that they've been better at producing the disciples and, and actually doing the formation so for me wow. i kind of wow. juxtapose i kind of compare the two wow. so one Brother. doesn't necessarily know what it's doing but may be doing it the other may be naming it but might not necessarily be doing it effectively and so to wow. me, that's kind of what I see doing. And that's not to say that at the same time, in, my, in the limitations of my analogy, that's not to say that there are not churches. You and I could both name churches right now that have done leadership development excellently, have done discipleship excellently. And we could name some institutions that are forming powerful leaders. So we're not saying that that's the case for everybody, but you're asking me, you're asking my experience and, and, and the benefit of those that I've mentored and those that I connect with. Um, mm -hmm. in the circles that I run it. And that's unfortunately seems to be probably the larger narrative um, and not the exception. Got it, got it. No, that's, that's, that's excellent because, and one thing I wanna make sure that the audience is hearing is, you know, what Dr. Dwight said is that it's really, you really need to bridge the gap, you know, between the two because you know, if a seminary is going to share information on leadership, and this is what I believe, Dr. Dwight, academia, they can teach you, but then the local, uh, the local church gives you a ground to hone and practice the discipline of leadership. But I almost feel like, and this is what I want you to answer, can you do one without the other? I mean, so, you know, for your ministers in training and your clergy members, are you encouraging this? Are you saying, hey, guys, if you want to maximize your full calling, you need to serve here locally, but you also need to go get some type of education? Yeah, yeah, you you, you opening up all the, we stepping on all the landmines tonight. Um, so like, well, <laughs> well, that's why I invited you, brother, you know, you yeah, let me put the That's target awesome. on my back. Let, let me put the target oh, on my back real quick. <laughs> I'll get behind you after they start shooting, brother. I, thank, I'll, you, uh... sir. Th thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. So I feel like I'm going to the trunk. <laughs> Say something else. Pop I'm going to the trunk, Otto. <laughs> I feel like what you've said, man, is, is such a loaded statement full of so many things that are important to me, 
both in my calling as a pastor and in my calling um, to, to, to academia. Um, so the, the black church, and I use that term very broadly, very inclusively, and I don't mean just African-Americans, um, but I do mean um, specifically, I'm talking about the American context, right? But th this, the black church in America, in all of its iterations of, of, of race and culture and expression and experience, um, we, we tend to operate in these, in these, what I call them kind of niche spaces. So for instance, if you came up in the AME church or in the traditional old school Baptist church, then, then getting a seminary degree wasn't a question. You, you was going to get one. Ooh. No, that, okay. that was just, if you were old school um, Baptist, you know, what we sometimes called high Baptist, if you was high Baptist, or if you were AME mm -hmm. or, or even United Methodist, you know, that, that wasn't a question. But if you came up in more of your um, missionary Baptist, more of your grassroots Baptist, more of your Pentecostal, non-denominational, um, there wasn't always um, a push. As a matter of fact, in many of our Pentecostal circles, we actually acted like education was was a, a manifestation of Satan. So there was this- Wow, talk about that. Talk, no, no, talk, talk about that. Some of the myths that were in those circles, because I, yes, I feel like you really about to help somebody right now. Yes, sir. We were told stuff like, you're gonna get all that learning and lose your burning. Um, you know, that, um, you, you know, you're gonna go down there to that to that cemetery and, you know, you, you know, you gotta get away from that cemetery. And, and, you know, and it's just because there's a there's a socio historical reason there's there's his history and culture as to why um, black people specifically African Americans have been um, suspicious of institutions um, that's that's wow. in culture there's cultural history to that but specifically wow. within Pentecostal traditions there was there was always kind of this anxiety angst um, fear or just disdain towards education so somebody like me. And, and, I, and I'm using me, not as person, but as a representation of many of us that grew up in those Bapticostal, um, you know, places and those non-denominational Bapticostal charismatic kind of spheres. Um, we were taught in many cases that that education wasn't as, as important as whether or not you were anointed, as whether or not you could you could wow. lay them in the floor, um, shout the church. Wow. You know? So then when it came to education, when we turned later in life and started embracing education, it was oftentimes with, with mixed motives. So right now there are those who are embracing seminary education and, and, and uh, local Bible colleges because they have a hunger for the meat and potatoes of God's word, mm. right? They wanna, write, they mm -hmm. wanna rightly divide. They wanna sit in the Old Testament and not run from it like they've seen so many of their pastors do. You know, they wanna sit with language and just be able to, to, to gut gut it through the exegesis and, and really be able to deliver sound expository exegetical preaching. But then you have another group that, that hungers for a title and accolades because they just want to walk around and have everybody call them doc. You know, come on doc, you know, mm. everybody's doc. Um, and yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, really, yeah. It's really difficult for us then culturally to navigate what we mean when we start talking about theological education and whether or not people need it because there are those that that just want titles and accolades and there are those that mm. hunger for the deeper things of God. And so, and, and I said, that's a long way of getting to me to directly answer your question. Your initial question was about what we do with our church. So I'm very clear that that seminary is not for everybody. 
Let me say that. Mm. Drop it down. Wow. Marinate wow. on it. Let that, let that sit for me. Wow. Seminary is not for everybody. And I say that it's as a seminary employee. Not for everybody. Employee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, wow. Seminary because edu you know, education is not for everybody. Wow, because, and, and the part of my other question, I was going to kind of go here, but, you know, now I will. So I guess, well, let, let's just stay right there. How, as, as a pastor, right, as you're surveying the lives of your leaders. Yes, sir. It will, and, and I don't want you to, you know, we, we hear the name names, but I'm just saying across <laughs> the body of Christ, across yeah. the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah. So what type of characteristics do you think are stumbling blocks from a person pursuing seminary? Is it a character thing? Is it a discipline thing? Is it a, is it a gift thing? What, what do you, what, when you say it's not for everybody, who do you think, you know, should just, you know what y'all, that that's not for you. Who falls into that category? Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's, I want to be very, very careful and particular in how I answer that question. And, and I think the mm -hmm. better thing is for me to maybe detail why I think seminary is not for everybody. And then maybe we could plug in who my, who okay. yeah, yeah. To, yeah. yeah. So number one, the way that higher education works in America, um, socioeconomically seminary is not for everybody. So, and let, and let me define what I say seminary, because I know that there's a lot of language and we use language sometimes, you know, willy nilly. Um, seminary defined as, as graduate level education, as a master's degree and above. Um, and, and, and some official accredited, you know, institution. Socioeconomically, everybody can't afford seminary. Not student loans, okay. not, not debt, not the whatever. They just can't afford it. Um, Secondly, is not everybody um, is, is an academic in their, in their life. The life of an academic mm, is not for everybody. That's good. That's and, good. And, that's good. And I, don't, that's good. And, I don't, and I don't mean that as a hierarchy. I don't mean that because I, I, because I live at least partially a life of an academic that I'm better than. No, 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 no. That, see, that's the, that's, the, that's the fallacy of this dichotomy that if you're a practitioner, you're less than. And if you're an academic, you're, you're up here. No. No, 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 no. Those are two completely different lives, two completely different callings, two completely different giftings. And, and the gifting of the life of an academic and the calling to that life is much different than the gifting and the calling of a life of a practitioner. And, and I don't want to put one against the other. I don't want to put one over the other. They are, they are just simply different. Brother, you, you married. I've, I've known your wife since high school. <laughs> and you know mm -hmm. that being married, different, is not better or worse, it's different. Yeah, it's just different, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just yeah. different. So, yeah. so socioeconomically, yeah. I think it's, it's that's, a, that's an honest question that we've got to ask. We've got to ask a question about your, your own calling, whether or not that's the life that you called to do, whether or not that's your gifting, mm. that's, that's what you've been called to do. And, um, and then the other piece is whether or not you actually need that. There are some people mm. that, that need training, but don't necessarily need seminary education. And so in our church, what I do is I present 
these, if you, if you are inclined to seminary, these are the things I sit down and talk. There are so many people, even before I got hired at Fuller, that I would sit down over a cup of coffee or, or a meal and have hour long and half hour conversations with people about discerning whether or not seminary is the right step, whether or not it fits in your life, whether or not you can take a break to do that, whether or not you can fit it in, whether or not you can afford it, all that kind of stuff. And then if so, then yeah, let's do it. But if not, what are yeah, the other yeah. options? That's good. That's good. No, that, no, you're helping. That's what I'm saying, man. You are helping, you know, people. And I remember I've approached you, I think more than once about, <laughs> you know, to, do, to again, Dr. Dr. Dwight, is it a D-man? Is it a PhD? Yeah. Is it a, you know, all the certification, Princeton has this certification that's in person, but not online and blah, blah, blah. So, so no, I mean, I, so, and, and I feel like, it's it's such an important conversation because to me at the end of the day this this is my heart is that leaders would try and maximize their the effectiveness of their ministry and calling yes, you know sir. so yes, my sir. thing is at a minimum you know read you know what i'm saying and and i know that sounds funny but as like you said you have schools of ministry, you know, you have different modules online, you have, you know, unaccredited, you have accredited, you have all these different vehicles. So my thing is just be willing to commit to the process of learning. Yes. You know what I mean? And then I feel yes. like, you know, hey, you could, you know, take advantage of different opportunities. So let's let's switch gears now. Let's switch gears because yes, I feel like we've laid the groundwork for preparation and training and leadership development. Now let's now do an overlay of the local church, higher learning institutions with this current cross-section of this pandemic and how leaders are going to be effective today and tomorrow. Because again, when I look at me and you trying to emulate our leaders and mentors and bishops what they taught us is not 100% applicable to today. You know what I'm saying? So what are you seeing now, um, you know, in this current context? I mean, as far as, again, the leaders that are going to, that are going to lead us into tomorrow, you know what I'm saying? What, what do you, what are you sensing? What are you feeling? Yeah, I think the first thing, and I know it's, it's, it's cliche, but I think that the first thing that I've noticed about, sorry, we got, we got birds out this way. Uh, <laughs> they get too loud. If they get too loud, you tell me. I hit it in the house. <laughs> no, no, we good. We good. We good. Uh, um, the first thing that I, that I, that I, that I've noticed about what I see are next generation leaders is that they're not going to fit the box. And I know that that sounds cliche, but mm. let, me, let me break that for a minute. That's good. You and, That's good. You and I came up in a time where if you were, especially, and let's talk about the, the patriarchy of the times and everything. If you were a man and you could handle the Bible a little bit and you had, you know, as I said earlier, jokingly, but in honesty, a little bit of oil on your life, um, you were automatically going to be a preacher or a pastor. Wow. Automatically. And I think mm. that this next generation of leaders are recognizing that I don't have to be a pastor to be a leader. Wow. 
I, I don't have to be a preacher. Let's say that again. That's good. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to, because this is the fallacy that we grew up with. We grew up that the only anointed people were the preachers and singers, and sometimes the musicians. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and and that fallacy, we 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 we've got to implode, explode that whole fallacy. And I think that this generation of leaders are fully understanding that, that if you are a, a nurse and you are absolutely gifted and skilled at what you do and how you do it, that there are gifts and callings outside of preaching and singing. So, so the next generation of leaders are understanding that they don't have to be a pastor to be a leader in the body of Christ. They don't have to be a preacher. They don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be an evangelist missionary. You don't have to carry the, the quote unquote coveted titles that we grew mm. up with. Because those coveted mm -hmm. titles were, were what authorized you and validated you as being someone who was called and anointed by God. And, and I think this next generation of leaders is saying, if I don't sit on the board of directors, I'm still a leader. If, if I don't get make it to the trustee board, if I'm not the head deacon, you know, if I'm not the, 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 the senior pastor, not the junior pastor, then I'm not nothing. No, we're, we're blowing up. We're destroying this hierarchy, this false hierarchy of anointing and understanding that God, the, mm. the, the multiplicity, the multifacetedness of God's giftings is that God gives gifts to the body, not just preaching. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. So those first leaders, those leaders, That's... first and foremost, don't have to be pastors, don't have to wear a robe. <laughs> wow, brother, you, you, that's, that's, that, 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 that's good. Look, can I tell you my story real quick? So don't laugh at me too bad. I got to tell you my story real quick. When, when we first started our church, we started our church at the Downey High School Cafetorium. That's a cafeteria okay. and an auditorium mixed together. All right, all right, all right. I know the acoustics in that room were probably lovely. <laughs> now, I had not, again, I had not thought through what does Dwight Radcliffe pastoring a church in 2006 look like, mean, need to be. I hadn't asked myself any of those difficult questions. I just was regurgitating and emulating what I saw everyone Ooh. else doing. Wow. So wow. the first Sunday, I need you, don't laugh too hard now. The first Sunday that we had services in this Downey High School cafetorium, in the back where that window is, there was a Tracy McGrady milk poster. So Tracy McGrady is in the background dunking with a milk mustache. I love it. I love it. That was your backdrop. That was my backdrop. I love but, it. But, but dude, here I come out the back of the teacher's cafeteria, the teacher's lounge in my cassock and my everything. Oh, wow. Wow. Because I didn't wow. understand that I should wow. have sat with God and asked God, what are you doing in me wow. and through me? What are my skills? How are you leading me? How are you gifting me as a leader? Instead, I just went wow. out doing what everybody else was doing. And bro, to this day, I got pictures of me in a cassock wow. preaching in front of a Tracy McGrady post. Wow. But you know what? To me, it's the perfect image, you know, of this dichotomy of exactly what we're talking about is what you just said, the leaders of tomorrow are outside of the box. And I feel like, and this is what trips me out, some of the younger adults, and Jamila always gets on me about this, not everybody's a millennial, but let's just say millennials 
and Generation Z, they're number one, comfortable outside of the box, and they're comfortable in acknowledging that a box doesn't exist. You know, whereas, you know, like you said, for me, hey, guess what? There was a season I was trying to dress like my pastor, you know, or I was trying to pray like my pastor. I was trying to do a lot of things like my pastor. So, I, but, but with that, I also feel like because of the millennials and the Generation Z's boldness and confidence, there's a rich opportunity for them to become these great leaders, but my challenge with them is you can't shortchange the process. You know what I'm saying? Like, like again, me and you, guess what? It was trial sermons, there was Bible school, there was Bible class, there was, okay, you can pray for five minutes, and if you don't mess up, then you could do this. You know, there was all of this kind of, there was a very orchestrated track for us to follow, but now with these bold, on fire, confident young folks, how do we usher them into getting to that place? You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like everything we're seeing in the body of Christ, their leadership is needed, but they're going to need some help along the way. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So, 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 so my question to you is, have you seen a good example or case study of a young person that's called today and really just trying to walk out their calling with courage, with confidence, you know, but in order, you know, if, if you will, you know, we came up and day, let everything be done and these be in an order. So have you, are you seeing that with some of the millennials and Gen Z's? Or are you feeling like, hey, they got some oil, they plant the church tomorrow and, you know, they got, you yeah. know, what, what are you saying? Yeah, I want to. I'm with I'm with Jamila on on the millennial thing only because I I lecture and speak uh, to churches uh, on behalf of millennials and for millennials. So yeah, millennials are t uh, about thirty to forty two right now. Uh, that's that's about 20, 20, 28 maybe the lowest cutoff. But yeah, mm -hmm. um, but still with 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 this new with this new wave of leaders, let's just put it that way. With a new wave mm -hmm. of, of leaders emerging, um, there is a sense of of impatience sometimes there is a sense of um, of wanting to do things right now um, and and I think that to a level and a degree that needs to be embraced and then to a level and degree uh, that needs to be discipled um, and what I mean by that mm, is that's good best, keep coming back best, to that yeah the best thing that I think in those cases is to run back to scripture right is to run back to 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 the cases where where you have a Moses and a Joshua, uh, where you have an Elijah and Elisha. Um, and, and first of all, I think it takes those of us in my generation, our generation and up to recognize that, that while Joshua probably served under Moses for years, um, Elisha probably was not under Elijah for years. Um, and so how do we recognize, and then Jesus with his own disciples in, in three, you know, maybe three plus years, I think that we've got to also come off of that they got to get it the way we got it. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be the 12 year program. They might be on an accelerated track. And so how do we recognize that, make room for that, but still disciple them in scripture um, to make sure that they're ready to lead. Um, I don't think that we should lay hands on anybody suddenly and, 
and just and just drop them out. I don't believe that, but I do believe that maybe some of the stuff that that some of the hoops that we had to jump through, maybe not every hoop was a good hoop. Um, uh, I'll, I'll just say that you know sometimes we hold on to certain traditions, and uh, there are some traditions that are great and need to be kept and need to be um, molded a little bit, and some that just need to be thrown out completely. But I think I think what every generation does is every generation forces the previous generation to ask tough and difficult questions. And, and we could take that back to our mama and, and grandmama and, and great, great granddaddy and all of them. But every generation um, forces the previous generation to ask questions of their own praxis and, and their own theory. That's good. That's good, brother. You, I'm telling you, man, I can't wait to get into the questions <laughs> because I know you are touching nerves, you know, you're touching hearts. So we're, I'm going to just, you know, ask maybe one or two more questions, yes, um, you know, because, again, we still got this whole pandemic thing. So what I want to ask about that, what do you think the local church should learn? Maybe, you know, one or two lessons that they should learn through this whole pandemic thing. What do you think we're supposed to be taking out of this thing with us as we get ready to move forward? Yeah. Uh, man, man uh, Pastor Rufus, you've known me for a few years now, um, and I think I've earned the right to say I'm not that guy that uh, believes, you know, the Holy Spirit just spoke in my right ear and let me, I mean, some people get it like that. I hear you, Father. Yeah, I hear you, Father. <laughs> that's not, that's not, that's just not the way my relationship with God works. God usually shows uh, me, you know, things. He shows me images or pictures and kind of narrates. I mean, that's just the way, but I'm not the dude that wakes up every morning and the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said, but um, there is something that I'm, I'm, I'm positive that God has impressed upon me about this season of, of, of COVID. And I don't want to get into the God sent it or God allowed it. I want to get into that debate, but, but here's what I know. I am convinced that the one thing, uh, the primary takeaway that, that, that churches, that local churches and pastors need to need to grab and grasp and understand at a very deep level during um, this uh, quarantine season is that the building should have never been the centerpiece of our faith. Come on, come on, brother. Say that again. Say it one more time for the people in the back. The yeah, the building. <laughs> <laughs> the building should have never yeah. been the centerpiece of our faith. It should have always been Jesus Christ, the incarnation and, and the cross. It should have always been um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But but at some point along the way, we allowed the building to become the centerpiece of our faith. And so the moment that that our attachment to the building was attacked, we went into we went into chaos and we didn't know what to do and we panicked because our faith was attached to the building. And and wow. so those of us that were able to shed our connection to the building quicker, we're able to adapt faster. And those of us that, that had a traditional, um, almost idolatrous attachment to the building struggled longer with what it meant to stay home. Um, I don't know what Bible um, everybody else is reading, but the one I read never, 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 ever, 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 never, 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 never placed um, the building as the centerpiece of our faith, 
even when you look at, at, at the Old Testament, if you, even when you look at the temple, it wasn't the building itself. It's what the temple represented. And, and the it's fact the that, that Israel Come continued worshiping in the temple after the Holy of Holies was emptied out of all of the things that made it the Holy of Holies still speaks volumes to us. But, but I digress. We, we made the church building the centerpiece of our faith. And, and coming into this and coming out of this, my prayer for yeah. the church That's is that brother. it's Jesus Christ, the incarnation, and him crucified. That must be that's good. Interpiece of our faith. That's good, brother. Now, because and 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 I agree. I feel like you just hit the nail on the head of one of the biggest takeaways. And you know, for years, it would grieve me, you know, really to see churches spend the majority of their annual budget. Yes, sir. In real estate and development, facility cost. You know, the vision may say, hey, you know, we're a mission-based church, but when you look at the balance sheet or the expense sheet, you got this big gob of money in facilities, and you got this big gob of money in payroll, and you got this little sliver of money in missions, and it's like, well, I thought we were going to be mission-based. Yeah, so so I feel like what you're saying is true that church leaders have to stop worshiping buildings that can burn down, that can be lost in a flood, or that can be shut down, you know, by a global pandemic, man. So I think you just hit the nail on the head, on the head. So last question, and then I'm going to hop into these these comments to figure uh-huh. out uh-oh. Um, you know, to see see what type of questions we got uh, from Uh-oh. the saints of the Most High God. But last question is, you know, what does the church of tomorrow look like? You know, what do you think the Message Center Church will look like in 10 years or, you know, other local churches? What are you sensing that is on the horizon for the local church? Yeah, I think... Um... I think I don't see, I see a lot of churches. Let me start here. I see a lot of churches hungry and I'll use the term desperate to get back to normal, to get back to what they've defined mm. as normal. Yeah. Um, and so they won't, they won't perceive um, COVID and this quarantine season as anything more than an interruption. Um, Mm. Pres- the president of, uh, of, of Fuller Seminary, uh, Dr. Mark Laberton, he and Andy Crouch were having a conversation on, on his podcast, and they were talking about whether we see this as a, a, a blizzard, a, a winter, or an ice age. And if we see it as a blizzard, which is what I, that's the first uh, analogy that I'm uh, talking about, that pastors just want to get back to normal. It's just a blip on the radar, it'll be over. Um, some may see it as a winter. Oh, it's going to last a little while longer than we thought, but still, it'll go away. Um, whereas if you consider this to be a version of a mini ice age or an ice age, that means that things mm. will fundamentally shift from here on out. Um, wow. And I see for, wow. for my church, for, for the church that I lead, I do see, um, I had a meeting, we had a Zoom conference call with with our board of directors and, and most of our clergy um, 
couple of weeks ago and we talked about it like openly. What does church look like once once the quarantine is over? And we use the language post quarantine. You can't really use post COVID because a lot of our, our medical professionals are telling us that COVID-19 will be with us for some time, even after the quarantine is over. So post quarantine, I think it's forcing us to go back to scripture. It's forcing us to, to read through what does it mean to be communities? What does it mean to be um, effective? What does it mean to be dispersed and sent out? Um, if you look at the liturgical calendar, we're coming up on, on, um, on Pentecost Sunday. And what does it mean to once again be dispersed into the world, not into our buildings? Um, I take that mm -hmm. seriously mm -hmm. and not as a coincidence. So I think the church of tomorrow um, will definitely have a lot of the elements that we're used to seeing, but I think there's going to be a larger focus and a larger, much more attention given to how do we engage a post-quarantine world um, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. And, and, and I think, again, man, you're helping people because you just gave them, you know, a practical display of the discussion that's needed. You know what I mean? Because like you said, people can get into this. Well, God just told me this and, and, yeah. and that's the end of it. But I feel like, you know, there's safety in a multitude of counsel. Yes, you know, so again, yes, bringing your board together, bringing your clergy together and hearing the hearts of the people, I feel like that is a good, healthy direction. And the thing I like about it is you're showing um, leadership, but also humility. You know what I mean? Yes, and, sir. and yes, you know, when, when we talk about idolatry, we talked about the buildings, but some of our leaders have become idols in these church circles. And I feel like that's something else that is being removed as we come out of the quarantine is that no, nobody has a monopoly, you know, on the gospel or nobody has a monopoly on revelation. Let's stop idolizing our buildings and let's stop idolizing our leaders yes, and sir. seek God yes, sir. Um, together, man. So let me, let me see if I can hop into this chat room um, so, I'm nervous. so, so I'm nervous. If, if you're in the Facebook page, if you're in the live on our page, the bridge community, this is your time to ask Dr. Dwight a question. And we're going to take a few questions and we understand that there's a little bit of a delay, but again, if you'd like to ask a question, go ahead and throw it out there and then we'll get a, re we'll get a response. Um, but brother, man, let me just thank you, man. This has been a rich discussion. Uh oh, um, we got books falling. But this uh -oh. has been a rich, a rich discussion, and you know, I just feel like you've helped a lot of people, man. You know, because I even feel like that's one of the contexts in. You know, I feel like the black church. There's been so much pressure on our leaders to, you know, act like that we got the best jab in the business or we just are all knowing. And it's like, you know what, let's call a timeout. Yeah. Let's yeah. display this conversation and how we posture ourselves b before God so that he can lead and guide us into all truth, man. So I feel like, man, this is, this has been a, a, a rich, rich discussion. Um, 
but I'm not seeing any questions in the, may the room. May the Lord I, watch between me and the yeah yeah. <laughs> so well, why don't why don't you check? Are are you on Facebook? Because you could check in your, I think, watch party. Yeah, because somebody, that's the thing. I, I don't know how all this stuff is happening. So I, I'm you may have a, a question on your end. I'm hosting a watch party and somebody asked a question, what is my take um, on social distancing? Um, if you mean in regard to when, you know, when do we get back into the church building? Uh, I forget my uh, my brother's name, but the pastor of Fellowship Church in Chicago. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think his name, last name is Sharp, I think. Pastor Sharp. Sharp, I think that's his name. <laughs> that brother right there got oh, the Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that, and here's the here's the thing culturally, as oh, okay, let me let me let me go ahead and stir some stuff up real quick. So okay, okay. I was in a Zoom conference call a few weeks ago, um, and it was all these, I won't name any names, nationally recognized black leaders, clergy and whatever, and activists, and they were talking about uh the disproportionate effect that COVID has on on black and brown mm. communities, and they're one hundred percent correct. But not one of these pastors said this. We also need to name and confess that within black and brown communities specifically, pastors carry much more influence and much more weight than our white brothers and sisters. So when the black pastor tells their primarily older demographic congregation, we come into church and the devil ain't going to touch us and, and ain't no COVID, no COVID, no COVID, no COVID. And, and we still coming together when you have large denominations having gatherings after we've been told not to, let's not downplay that we've also put ourselves at risk as well. And so I think, and I said all that to say that, that culturally as, as a black pastor, I don't mean I have a black church, I mean as a black pastor, that I know mm -hmm. that I speak to demographics, I speak to a, a demographic congregation that will value my my wisdom and insight beyond me just preaching so i also have a social responsibility that dates back mm -hmm. to slavery and the role of the of the pastor on, the priest brother. the preacher in slavery um i have an obligation socially and culturally to my people as well so i've got to make sure that we don't run back just for the sake of being in the building that we don't run back and put ourselves in harm's way and so i feel like my brother said when when everything else opens then we yeah, 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 everything. And he said for them. When so they we'll stuff just, we'll put, Yeah, when they stuff open, our stuff is open. But, but man, you just said something major about, and that to me, that's a whole separate discussion, you know, about the, the social responsibility of the local yes, Black church in our communities. And we saw how pivotal the local black church was in different movements throughout our history, you know, here in the United States, man. So you, 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 you said something major there, man. So let me, you know what, I'm going to check one other place. And if you got another question on your end, this is just so weird, man, how these things work with these comments all in these different locations, you know what I'm saying? So, yes, sir. so let me see. Um, yeah, I got comments, but yeah, do you have anything else on your end, man? If if not, brother, we'll we'll let you get on with your with your evening, man. 
I would just push us, man, to um, to step outside of our of our of our comfort zones and our circles, to to have challenging conversations, to read some good material, um, you know, um, and stay in 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 the word, man. I think this is the challenge of this situation. Of course, is the social distancing. The challenge of this is is you know the lack of social contact and physical contact. Um, but there is an opportunity here for for leaders specifically, because that's what we're, we're focusing on. There's an opportunity yeah. here for leaders to begin to reimagine and re-envision what on, could brother. be and what should be. We have literally a clean slate to go back to our, 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 our churches, our communities, our organizations, and say, if we had to start it from the ground up and, and based solely on the Bible, what would we do now? And I mm. think that's, that's a that's a powerful place. That's a gift that you can't, that doesn't come along. Every, every, that doesn't come along in every generation. That doesn't come along mm. in, in every 10 years, every decade. That's a very rare opportunity that we have to literally say, you know what? I want to read through the scriptures. I want to read through, especially the gospels. I want to hear and see what Jesus was doing and how he was doing what he's doing. And we want to click the reboot button. We want to, we want to reboot this whole thing and root it more closely to what we hear and see in scripture as opposed to what was automatically given to us. Mm, brother, reimagine, reimagine. Um, Jamila said that there are some questions, man, but for whatever I reason, one. I cannot, oh, okay, okay. Uh, so, somebody put uh, on, on, my, on my watch party, the Kojic Church has lost many senior leaders uh, to COVID-19 oh, and other medical issues. How is the church to recover? Um, are there specific leaders to be looking toward? Um, who are you reading? Oh, wow. All right. Jamal, man, that was a loaded question. Um, so, yes, I think it's important to notice, to note that the Church of God in Christ in particular as a denomination um, is suffering. And I want to be careful with how I say this because there are legal ramifications to this. Um, the presiding bishop, Bishop Blake, has made it clear that he, as the leader of the denomination, had requested a halt to major gatherings at a certain time. And that even after he made that um, statement, there were certain gatherings, um, we call them jurisdictions, um, that were still holding large meetings after that. And we have now seen um, through contact tracing and others that people at some of these meetings um, were, in, were infected. Um, I think as far as the, the first part of the question, um, how does the church recover? Um, first and foremost, we don't recover from the no church, no denomination, no group, um, no organization recovers um, from the loss of, of, of leaders and loss of life. I think that uh, the church mourns just as any other family, any other organization, any other church. Um, there's a church um, in uh, Carson uh, that lost their leader and it wasn't to COVID, um, but uh, Judson Baptist Church, Pastor uh, Baylor oh, uh, passed yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. and just trying to mourn the loss of that leader. I think that every church, um, every family is going to have to deal with that. But I do think that it's important that um, the presiding bishop makes clear um, what his stance was when he made his stance, um, and that if people did things outside of that, then um, you know there's a limited amount of of control. Just if you understand the internal structuring of the Church of God in Christ. It's not a very top-down um, organization. Um, so there's not, there's not a lot of enforcement uh, per se. 
But yeah. the other questions yeah. that he brings up are, you know, who who are the leaders that we should be looking to? And I think that's a really important question. I think for me, it's not about looking to denominational leaders. It's just to looking Ooh. at leaders across the spectrum of the body of Christ and across the kingdom that I believe are speaking to me. So there are people uh, I like listening to. Um, I love what E. Dewey uh, Smith has done in Atlanta, how their church was, was, I believe, the first testing site, period, in their area. Not the first church but the yeah. first testing site, yeah. period. Yeah, in um, the county, in the county, yeah. In the county. Yeah. Um, I love Which what is. Joseph Walker, Bishop, uh, presiding Bishop Joseph Walker is doing. They're just people that I that I look to because I feel like they're speaking my language. They're, they're speaking the language of my tribe. They're speaking the language of my calling. Um, and then as far as like stuff to be reading right now, man, um, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. I would probably say, Going back to uh, Where Have All the Prophets Gone by Marvin McMickle uh, is good. Um, for me, I can't read, I can't not, I can't get enough of rereading um, The Spirituals and the Blues by James Cone. I can't stop reading Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited. Um, I went back and started reading Carter G. Woodson's The Miseducation of the Negro, um, Samuel Chan, Who's Holding Your Ladder, um, and even a, a professor at Fuller. Uh, Todd Bolsinger has a book, Canoeing the Mountains, talking about leadership in, in weird times. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. Sacred Cows Make Gourmet Hamburgers is another great book. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that we could be looking at and reading. So, yeah. Bro, now nah, you and Jamila just sent a question. Uh, I don't want some her reason. questions. I don't want her question. No, no. This is this, this is this is from somebody in the chat because okay. for whatever reason, I, could, I couldn't see it. Now, this brother says, how do you know when you've been called to preach, teach, lead, lead in ministry, when you've grown up in the black church, um, the black church that told that you were, knowing it personally versus being told, um, hardwired in you. So again, how do you know you've, you've been called regardless of what you've been told in your local church? I think, there's, there's, there's an epistemology um, at play in that question. I wanna unpack a little bit. I think there's a, there's a thought process and a way of being in that question. Um, so let me respond to the question by saying this. I don't wanna downplay the need of us reading, worshiping and discerning in community. That, that we need to be reading in community. We need to be discerning what God is doing in community. And so even calling is something that is often needs to be discerned and, and, and heard in community. But I do also believe that the Lord will speak to us. Um, and so I believe that there's a balance between what you feel, what you can kind of hear or believe God is leading you into and how your community is rallying around you and praying with you um, to discern that as well. So I wanna, I wanna state, it's not an either or, that it really is a both and, that you need personal conviction. And I do believe That's that correct. if you are called, there is a community that will affirm and, and be able to do that. Um, and so That's how correct. do you navigate that? I think, I think holding both of those things in, in proper tension is, is important. So if you're the only one that think you called and don't nobody else. Yeah, yeah, That's of concern. Or if you know that your community, if you already know that your community is already slanted a certain way and you feel that they're pushing you a certain way just because that's the way that they're wired, then, then you might need a new community. That's good. That's good. That's good. Nah, brother, you you on point. You are you are on point. You know what I mean? And 
And I don't know, just for me, I'll just piggyback, you know, on that, you know, as far as, and this is a trip we're going into, you know, uh, Pentecost Sunday. And, you know, when we look at the book of Acts, when the spirit was poured out amongst those men and women, they were being empowered for an assignment. You know what I mean? So I've always been a believer that there will be some oil or there will be an empowerment that's associated with a calling or an assignment. You know what I mean? And for me, you know, that's how God confirmed even me identifying and acknowledging my calling that other people, you know, that, you know, my pastor and leader saw well before me was God confirmed it by empowering me to be of service. You know, so the brother that asked that question, I would you know, like Dr. Ratcliffe said, there should be a combination of an inward connect, uh, an inward conviction that Absolutely. will be validated publicly in time. And sometimes yeah. we want to get ahead of time, but again, just be patient and continue, you know, to serve God, you know, and grow in your relationship with, and I'm a firm believer, your gift will make room for you. If there's a gift to be had, it will make room for you in some arena. So and bring you before great there. people. <laughs> come on, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, with that, sir, I think that we are going to say good night uh, to our audience. Um, uh, I would like to thank the listeners for tuning in tonight. Please share this broadcast with somebody that you know needs to hear it. There may be some pastors or leaders, church planners, or seasoned leaders that may need a little bit of help yeah, and could glean yeah. some wisdom from this uh, discussion. So, Dr. Dwight, can you share how people can get in touch with you? And if you don't mind praying us out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm on social media at Pastor Rad, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook at Pastor Rad or Pastor Radcliffe. Um, our church is the message center, uh, mcwchurch.com. And, uh, you can also find me at Fuller Theological Seminary, fuller.edu. Um, there I head up as a uh, pastor, a roof has already said, I head up the African-American church studies program. And so, uh, you can reach me. You can reach me by caravan. You can cross the desert like a, no, I'm sorry. That's the wrong song. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, me. that's me. Let, let me pray for uh, leaders right. as this was the heart of what Pastor Rufus called us together Amen. to do. Let me pray for leaders. Amen. Father, in Jesus name, I, I bless and lift up leaders. Those who are actively engaged in pivotal positions and roles and those who have yet to step into roles and yet to step into authority, God. God, we are asking that you would uh, heal our land, that you would help us in the midst of everything that's going on. And Lord, we're asking that you would raise up leaders for such a time as this. I ask God that you give our seasoned leaders wisdom and insight to be able to discern and know the difference between a Joshua and a Judas. I ask God that you would help our younger leaders to present themselves um, with their energy and with their zeal to present themselves to processes of discipleship and maturity. Mm. I pray for leaders that are in the middle that we would 
uh, as Pastor Rufus pastors the bridge community, that we would find ourselves as a bridge community, that we would be able to bridge, um, to speak peace, to, to interpret in between the generations, that we would be that intergenerational bridge. Ultimately, God, that your will would be done, that your kingdom would come, Lord. This is what we pray and this is what we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, good night, uh, audience. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to share this broadcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Rufus Chambers podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast by hitting the subscribe button and connect with us on all social media platforms.